I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on Etteland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Darren Driver, the outgoing motormouth LinkedIn leader of the podcast. I've got a few staunch defenders left, but unfortunately I'm related to them all. And I'm joined by the high potential Bielsa acolyte of the podcast, Tom Alderson. He's definitely not coming in. And, oh, look, it's the one last job Sharon of the podcast coming back to help out his first club and his first love in our hour of need. It's only John McKenzie. John, how you doing, buddy? Hello, mate. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's really nice to speak to you. John, our friendship was almost entirely formed through the medium of talking to each other about Leeds United on this podcast, so it is really very lovely to to see you and to get to to chat with you again. So, how's life been treating you? Yeah, busy as always, um, but I think it's going to be an interesting few more months with Leeds United, isn't it, going forward, but let's see how that goes. Indeed, indeed, indeed. And Mr. Tom Alderson, how are you? What 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 news do you bring? Um, I'm good, thank you. I'm I'm not a lot to be honest. I'm just I've got a bad cold. I think I I caught it on Wednesday from my uh, my brother's girlfriend. So I hope she's listening because it's definitely your fault. And I felt pretty awful since then. Uh, the question does rather beg itself: What were you doing <laughs> with your brother's girlfriend? We were well. It was we were at Old Trafford. That's that's why we were watching. Leeds have having a nice time, and I didn't feel very nice the next morning. Oh, well, I'm I'm glad that 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 you had a nice time with your brother's girlfriend at Old Trafford. T- tell my brother, my brother was present the whole time. <laughs> I would like to make that very clear before the rumours go around. Excellent, excellent. <clears throat> okay, well, before we get onto the matters arising, um, just wanted to say I did say on Twitter uh, last week that this this is my final. Um, podcast. I am in fact retiring from podcasting today, so goodbye. Um, and I just want to say because there were a few people who were saying that this was because of Jesse Marsh, because I actually announced this before Marsh went. This is not because of Jesse Marsh. I wouldn't give him that much power. Uh, what this is about is about me, unfortunately, not really having the time to commit to it to do it as well as I would like. Um, so, uh, or, or at all, really. So, I just wanted to say to um, both of you, John and Toldo, and to all of you listeners and to everyone else that I've podcasted with, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure to do this with you. But let's do it one last time and do it well to wit. Let's talk first about the two Manchester United games. So, it is pretty unusual to have two games in a row against the same opposition like this. Last time I can remember it happening was back in the nine, early 90s, probably, where Leeds played Man United four times in like seven, in, in a few days, but not in league games. Um, so, talk us through the two games, John, and tell us if you think we learned anything from the two games side by side. Yeah, this is a a really interesting one because I think the two games are really good examples of why game state matters. Uh, The difference between those two games was that obviously we got the goal fairly early on in the first one. We were able to add another one later on. 
and then that changed I think the course of the game in the second half in a way that didn't happen in the second game because in the second game we managed to keep it goalless until the 80th minute and then that's when things changed there so two very different um, outcomes in terms of the the both the the result but also the way that the performances went but I actually thought in both games there was a lot of similarities in terms of the problems that we caused for Manchester United I think in the second game I was surprised that Eric Ten Hag didn't really seem to have solutions for the problems that we caused them in the first game Um, the main solution I think that I saw that he had was playing Tyrell Molassia as a left back and inverting him to try and create a little bit more space, try and drag uh, one of the players out of that front four a little bit more central so that you've got more direct access to the wide player in the on the left hand side, which is which Marcus Rashford. But in the in the uh, on the occasion it didn't seem as though they actually made very much of that uh, weakness that they created. Um, so yeah, for me, both games were typified by the fact that Manchester United persisted in trying to build up through the the front line of the Leeds press. Leeds played the sort of high block that they do in that in that sort of four two four shape, um, blocking off the the passing lanes into the middle, uh, and then jumping whenever the ball's played to fullback, which is what we've seen throughout the Jesse Marsh era. Um, and Manchester United just didn't have any solutions for that in the first game. I think that worked well for us in that we got a couple of goals. Um, uh, arguably a little bit more fortunately than uh, the unfortune of the second game Um, but I think in the second half then because we were defending a two-goal lead I think we just sort of we started sitting deeper and deeper and deeper to try and protect that lead and it meant that Manchester United were able to progress the ball a little bit more easily in that first game in the second half whereas in the second game they persisted at trying to break us down through the through build-up didn't work and in the end it sort of relied on um, a few substitutions a few uh, elite players coming on off the bench and um, actually a moment of of I think magic really from Luke Shaw to create that ball for Marcus mm. Rashford as well so mm. I think played really well in both games I think it was this was you know largely I know we're going to talk about this a little bit more but this was largely repeating some of the uh, the patterns that we've seen a lot through the last season um but this is the sort of game where I think we were really set to to play quite well and I think that's how it unfolded for me anyway mm. How did you see it, Taldo? So you were at Old Trafford. Did you go to Ellen Road as well? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So what 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 did it look like from 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 in the ground in those games, and how did you see things tweak across the two the two games? Um, in terms of just to build on what John said a little bit, is that on Wednesday it was very much we left Varane free um, and let him what sort of let him have the ball block up, block all his passing lanes, and that really worked. It let it sort of got us quite a lot of high turnovers, which is obviously what what Marsh was trying to do, what we were still trying to do, and it gave some chances. It on Sunday there was a few things that well, there was one thing that well, was obviously that he changed for Maguire to try and give someone that's a bit better on the ball and a, a high confidence Maguire is better on the ball than Varane, but not not in his current state. So it didn't really make much of a difference per, personnel wise. I was surprised that Ten Hag didn't change on Sunday. Like he didn't sort of move the press press around or didn't move us around it and then cross field it was just like Maguire and to a lesser extent Darlow was just pinging it across the pitch and we we did really well with those cross field balls which are usually the stuff um the thing that causes problems um we were able to sort of win all those second balls I think to, another thing I saw is like with those balls is we kind of let um Weghorst have the space to win the ball and we just went and won the second ball as well so we did we had, we had dealt with that until probably the 80th minute and then it obviously all fell apart um with the with them scoring that first goal but yeah i, I think mostly it was like we pressed the, the same as we have before the manchester united games i thought i didn't notice there was too too much difference and because united played into our hands at man, man united i'll be very clear to say was played into our hands at um a bit it pro- it meant that we saw performances like we did against liverpool and we did against chelsea where because they played into our hands it makes us look good so do you, do you read this uh, as has been similar to to how we were under Marsh, as you've just said there, Tom? When when we when we have teams who try play in such a way that plays to the strength of the Leeds United under Jesse Marsh system, where it allows the press the counter press to get involved, um, that that that's why it felt like we caused Manchester United problems, not necessarily because of any huge enormous differences that had been made. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think, especially, I'd have, a lot of people were talking on Wednesday that um, we'd made different adjustments for Man United game. Well, the the, the way game, well, they had what one session mm. to make those changes. So I, there wasn't anything massively different. It was definitely, yeah, definitely them playing to our hands more than our sudden adaptation after mm. Marsh left on Monday. Mm-hmm. John, let's talk about the the pressing uh, a little bit. Were, were there any tweaks to the... I mean, I know you've just mentioned that Man United made some tweaks to the way that they approached the game on Sunday, but were there any tweaks to the approach from Marsh Ball in terms of what Skabala did in, in these two games? I don't think so, no. I think this was very much, as we've said, that that four two four press with um, a little bit of reticence to press the centre-backs, uh, using the pass to the full-back as the trigger to then launch that, that high press so then you then you, you go from a sort of high press into a, a high block I would call it into a into a higher press in, in those moments causes a lot of problems I think we generated a lot of chances um, from turnovers of the ball high up I think in the in the in the the away game we I think we got a little bit fortunate in terms of the amount of goals we got I think we generated about 0.67 um, 0.6 slash 7 expected goals uh, and got two goals from that which is obviously a fairly good rate of return um, in the second game we picked up about I think we picked up about one xg from set piece plays and a lot of those came from I think being able to counter press winning the ball back and then winning fouls in those situations and then a lot of the other chunk of xg that we generated I think about 0.8 xg we generated through the those sort of counter attacks from uh, high turnovers. There were a few direct attacks that that got through, but the majority was coming from that way. Uh, and I think when you consider it in that way, in that sense, that we were looking to win the ball back in higher areas rather than progress the ball there from our own back line. That was why this was a very successful marsh ball outing because this was very much about we don't need the ball. The opposition are welcome to have the ball and we are going to make it really hard for them to possess it. Uh, and that's going to be where a lot of our attacking upside comes from as well. So it wasn't just defensively, it wasn't just keeping them a long way away from our goal, which we obviously did, but it was also the main form of generating attacking expected goals uh, tallies as well. So yeah, I think this was... This was what we've come to expect under under Jesse Marsh. This was causing problems for a team who were persisting in in a certain way. Um, and it's interesting that I think that I because I genuinely thought that Manchester United just would be quite happy not playing into our hands in that way. I thought that Eric Ten Hag is the sort of coach who would be happy to just play over the top and play for second balls. And even if that wasn't really working out, it would at least force us back. It would mean it would play over the press, and it would mean that we lost a, a huge amount of our attacking upside. Um, and then we would see perhaps what happened in the second half of the first game, which was Leeds just naturally retreating deeper and deeper when they weren't able to generate those those uh, moments of turnover higher up the pitch. Um, but it didn't happen, and I think that's because Leeds press. I think it was um, Aaron Moniz and the Devils in the Details podcast, which is well worth listening to, actually. They covered both of the Manchester United-Leeds games separately, um, and they're very smart guys. They read the game well. But he said the the reason why Leeds get a huge upside in these games is because they press like an elite side, but they don't do anything else like an elite side. Um, and Manchester United against other elite sides who've pressed like Leeds do have been quite happy going long or finding other solutions uh, around those sorts of pressing approaches. Uh, Whereas in this game, because the thinking is, you know, this is a team at the bottom of the table, therefore we should be able to beat them on our own terms. He didn't do that. And I think that definitely played into our hands in this game. Um, So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, I I think that's that's definitely fair. So just just to be clear, I think we're we're all agreed that that broad, you know broadly this was this was Marsh Ball. If there were any tweaks, they were so minor as to not really be relevant. Um, and that that if we're you know if we're going to see any changes to the Marsh Ball system, that that those are going to come in the in the coming weeks rather than things that we can read right now. Um, Tom Manchester United got back into the game in both. Both of the games on Wednesday and on Sunday, what changed? Um, I think it's as the in- intensity of your press drops off, as it does, as we've seen a lot of time under Marsh. Um, they just managed to. It wasn't that their build-up improved; it's just they had more space to do their build-up. So they were obviously going to stick up the pitch, and if especially on, um, more so on Wednesday, it felt that they once they were in our half, they were pretty much camped in our half, and it it felt to me like they were going to go on to win three two. Um, once they got that first goal, um. The other thing is, as well, which I 
I think after just the next point on the running order, so I'm skipping a little bit ahead. But I think when Bamford and Harrison went off, for me, it felt like we couldn't stick the ball in there half as easily because Bamford's always been good at the hold-up play, bringing others in. I thought Harrison was very good in both games at this as well. Playing through the middle, they just he got the ball. And like There was quite a lot of guys around me complaining that he takes too many touches, but he retained possession quite a lot. Um, or like he could carry the ball into their half. And once... Um, I can't. Well, Rutter came on. I can't remember who the other change was. It just felt like they were winning the ball back in their own half very easily, and then they had more time to get the ball into our half. That was for me, anyway. Mm-hmm. What about what about you, John? Because in the in the game on Wednesday, um, it looked to me that um, that that Man United were able to get deep into our territory really regularly before their first goal, anyway, and it felt to me like like it it was likely that they were going to score it didn't feel quite as much like that to me in the game at the weekend um so how how do you read what what Man- manchester united did or what changed in the game in order to kind of push it back in their their favor in the two games yeah i think i think i think as i've said the difference is is that in that first game we were protecting a two goal lead um and as a result of that i think it's hard to be brave and keep pressing high um it's also as Toldo's mentioned it's it's hard to do um it requires a lot of energy and you're naturally going to going to drop off um i think manchester united probably found more solutions in that second in that first game um as well but i think that again it does come into the fact that um the the game state was was very different in in that instance and we've talked about this a lot right you live by the marsh ball and you die by the marsh ball um as we've said, the approach out of possession was really good for this kind of game. But you're so dependent on on the opposition playing into your hands that you don't have the any other sort of um, like latency to play any other way when those sorts of things aren't happening. So if you do start losing control in the forward areas, you don't then have the ability in possession to be able to slow the game down in that way as well. And so... In these instances, I think what has happened, uh, as soon as the press hasn't worked, so either they've bypassed it or it's got tired, whatever it may be, you then have this instance where you aren't, you don't have any solutions that can take the pressure off you in, in those deeper areas. So particularly in that, in that first, um, game, we saw that happening, right? It was, it felt inevitable that they were going to get back into the game. I think we did a good job of, of holding out at the end when it went to 2-2. Um, but again, you're not keeping the ball away from, your own box, you're simply defending your own box well, um, which I think in the long run becomes a problem. Like if you look at the, again, we, we've talked about this, but if you look at the expected goals, Manchester United put up over two expected goals against us in that first game. And we put up 0.7, I think it was, according to FB ref. Um, we weren't able to control that game and therefore they were just coming back at us over and over again. They were able to rack up a decent uh, amount of expected goals. And I think against elite sides, you expect them to overscore their expected goals in those instances a lot of the time as well because they are able to set themselves they are able to get the ball into box to um to into the box and and make the most of those talent discrepancies between center backs and forward players as well um in the in the second game i think because we were able to keep that press going and manchester united weren't able to find those solutions until later on um the the game yeah, it was completely different. And it meant that we were able to generate a lot more expected goals from those turnover moments. Um, that was because the the way that the game continued to be played was in our favour for the whole, at least the, the 80 minutes. I think what changed is they, they obviously brought on Lisandro Martinez, who is a good progressive player of the ball in the back line. And they also started playing um, Val Vekost as a, as a sort of 10 and Rashford in behind him and started going a little bit longer and trying to stretch out our our mid-block, high mid-block a little bit more. Uh, and that obviously worked out for them in, in, in a couple of instances. But yeah, it's it's the way that it, it goes. You live by the marsh ball, you die by the marsh ball. And so, and, and I think this is why a lot of us have been quite critical of the of Jesse Marsh's tenure, because the, the, the payback that you get from being able to compete in these games is that often it doesn't work anyway. So we saw that in game two we ended up losing despite looking better in most most phases of the game most of the of the game minutes and then in the first one you know we 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 shithoused it a little bit we still came away with only a point but the big question is going to be what happens in the next few games 
that that means that we're just, we're going to go from looking like we're competing in a game, which we've seen that happen with the top six, into games against teams around us when we no longer look like we're competing because a high press, a high block isn't going to work at all because it will simply get played over and that the block will just get pulled apart and and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. We know how this season's gone. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Tom, can we learn anything about these next couple of games from the two games we've just seen? Is, is there anything that we can carry forward or would, would we need to come up with a completely different or, a, or a, some, at least some significant tweaks to the approach in order to make us more effective in those games? Yeah, I, I don't think, I think it's as it was with Marsh, I don't think because we were successful in these games, I don't think that means it's going to be a success in games against lower teams. That's what we've struggled against all year. Um, I don't, in terms of the changes, like we we're not going to learn how to be a possession team and break down a team in a week. So I, I don't, yeah, I, it's difficult. I, d- I don't really know what can be changed in such a short time to make us effective for the, uh, these games. Like Everton, you imagine will will probably sit in a bit more, and Southampton will be quite happy just to go over the top of it. So they they won't play into our hands like Man United did. So yeah, I don't, I don't for me, I don't think there's much that we we can move on from the Man United games into the Southampton and Everton games. So it feels again, John, like we'll be in another situation where we're relying on perhaps Willie Nyonto pulling out a moment of magic where it's maybe there's a chance created for Bamford where there's a, where there's a set piece. You know, we're, we're relying on those sorts of moments again, perhaps to, to create the chances that we need to win these sorts of games, right? Yeah, again, it's probably good to be open-minded and, and think we don't know what Scabala is going to do in these games in terms of the 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 approach. Um, I'd be amazed if we came out and started looking like we had ideas in possession. Um, but you know, a, a little bit of f- flexibility, perhaps a little bit less reliance on central progression and direct attacks and a hundred mile an hour play um, might not mean that might mean that we are we do come out and have seemingly better ideas or a little bit more license to generate chances um i think one of the big problems of the jesse marsh approach is that you're so one-dimensional in terms of the way that you're entering the final third that oppositions can prepare for that quite well um that's not to say that we always go in in the same sorts of routes and it isn't to say that we don't ever use the wide areas i think we definitely do um but i think it's it the the build-up patterns are so predictable that I think for the most part, Premier League teams can comfortably expect them to look a certain way and prepare for those. And even just maybe a little bit more flexibility and openness in terms of um, in, in terms of build-up might actually change things a little bit there. Um, the problem is going to be against a team like Everton um, is going to be that Sean Dyche is going to set his team up to protect the middle of the field. Um, they're going to be tough to break down, I think. Um, although I do think that, I mean, I know we're jumping forward a little bit on the running order here, but I, I do think that Liverpool showed that if you play quite transitional football, you can pull apart a Sean Dyche block quite, quite comfortably in different ways. Um, and uh, it's my hope that we are able to do that. But uh, again, I do think that he will have his team set up so that they don't leave any space in the middle um, and they keep their, their lines tight together. He'll be happy to allow Leeds possession and say, come at us and do something with it um, and then try and hit us on the break in turn as well. So, yeah, I, I think that we should be open-minded that this won't look exactly the same as as Marsh Ball in possession necessarily. Um, but I think that it's unlikely that one, he's had a huge amount of time to actually instill any of those ideas. And two, he may even not want to. It may be the case that, as we saw at the end of last season, when Jesse Marsh came in following Bielsa, he tried to implement ideas and gave up fairly quickly. And we, we, we sort of fudged our way through the final games of the season using sort of vestiges of Bielsa ball and inshallah moments from Rafinha and Joe Gelhart. So, um, I suspect again, it's going to be a situation where, for him, he's probably just wanting to keep a level of momentum going, keep doing the same sorts of things that they've been doing in training and and hope that it comes out on, on the day. Um, and there's no reason why it might not. But yeah, I, I do think that it's it's a sort of fairly high high risk approach for me to, to sort of have a caretaker manager in for two of the most important games of the season, arguably. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, we, we are going to come on to talk about that decision that Leeds United have just announced in a moment. But before we do, um, I just want to talk about um, the midfield for a moment. And I want to uh, help. I want you to help me to understand what kind of player Weston McKennie is and where he fits into the, the midfield. I know this is coming off the ring, running order a little bit, but I just wanted to... I, it just occurred to me that we hadn't had a chance to talk about him. So, so John, what sort of player is uh, Weston McKennie and where does he fit into, uh, into Leeds United? Yeah, I mean... Weston McKenney for me is is a sort of box to box player. Has a load of energy. Is going to be aggressive in tackles. Maybe not the best technical player. One of the best headers of the ball in world football. Um, and a really good box crasher. So um, has played in midfields where you know he sort of gets to the edge of the box and, and can score from there. We've not seen him playing to his strengths at the moment because we've been playing him in a two man midfield pretty much. Uh, certainly in a double pivot alongside. Uh, Tyler Adams. I personally think McKenney has looked poor in the two games that we've seen him in so far, or certainly the two games I've seen him in so far. Um, and yes, I think ideally you'd want to play him as a, one of a midfield three, um, as an outside in a in a three. But then, I mean, even then, you, you look at the a midfield then of Rocker and and Adams and, and McKenney, and uh, I I personally don't necessarily see the vision uh that that they had in mind for for those for those players but um yeah i look i it will be interesting to see if we end up with him at the end of the at the end of the year it's going to feel like we've dumped a load of money on a player who i think isn't worth the value that we've put on him especially without jesse marsh being the coach um and yeah it it for me, you pay you pay that sort of level of output, um, and you're expecting to have a much better technical player. Um, that's not to say that he can't be fit into a team and made useful, but um, yeah, it, this is this is very much looking like desperation transfer business at the end of that Jesse Marsh reign. And I doubt that we would have done that had Jesse Marsh still been in the job. So yeah, I, I think you you have to qualify w- what I've said with with all of that. Um, I think we can still use him, um, but there's going to be questions about how he gets used, especially if we're moving away from the Marsh system in the future, um, which seems to be the case given the the sorts of players that have been uh, have been mentioned in terms of um, in terms of sorry the, the managers have been mentioned as potential replacements. Mm. Uh, Tom, so I I don't want to judge a player on one moment, but there was a moment in the in the game at Elland Road where. McKenney had the ball in good space. It was a relatively simple pass onto Somerville, which he butchered. Uh, and then, then his next action was to try and recover the ball from his own turnover and ended up almost killing uh, the Man United left back. Now, that got an enormous cheer uh, at Elland Road because he'd gone crunching into that tackle. So that made me think that maybe the, the crowd at, at the games were quite... Uh, were viewing his performances quite positively. So how how did how did you read them? Oh yeah, I I, I mean I loved the tackle at the time, and like, um, but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'm not I'm not going to judge him too much off two games. But I, I do kind of agree with what John said. Like he doesn't look like a technical, very good technical player. He um he looked I thought he would look like he was 
out of breath after the first half at Man, uh, away at Man United. Um, but I don't know, like, I don't know if the Italian league or if he's not been playing much. If that's something that might just come with time a bit. Um, I think he, like you said, I think he's a player that Leeds fans will like, and I think it, I, I do quite like the Tyler Adams uh, McKenny thing. I think he's quite nice on a on some level, but as, as an actual footballer playing for Leeds United, I'm, I, I don't think. Yeah, he, he don't think he was very good for um, for those two games, really. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Um, so it is looking like Michael. Sc- well, in fact, Michael Scabala is now definitely going to be in charge for the for the for the foreseeable future for the next couple of games. Tom, is this big news or or not? Um, I think if you'd have told me last Tuesday that that was going to be the case, I'd have been like, "This is an absolute, absolute shit show," and, and it is to an extent. But once it got to the weekend, we realised that we weren't going to get the option we wanted to do. Um, I kind of was like, well, if we commit to him for the Everton game, at least he's got a full week's preparation. We're not getting in someone on like Thursday next week and telling them to do something on the what the th- Thursday afternoon to prepare for the Saturday. So at the stage we are now, I am preferring that, that that's the case rather than bringing someone in. But I do think it's a, a complete failure by the board that they've the fact that it's more the fact that they managed to let they let Marsh to get to this point so that we couldn't get someone in to give them time and they're not going to want to leave. At this stage, their current club at the stage of the season, that's my bigger annoyance, um, rather than probably rather than the way they've actually approached trying to get the manager at this point. Mm. So John Scabala wins the Everton game, and like hypothetically, Scabala wins the Everton game, and he wins the Southampton game, or he gets four points from those two games, or something, and the, and the team performs creditably in those games. That probably opens us up into a situation where he becomes a viable candidate to the end of the season, doesn't it? I think that's probably the planning behind what's gone on here. Yeah, I think they've gone through the list of candidates they had in mind and they're now scraping at the barrel of that list and they've quite quickly gone to the recognition that if they want to get the sort of manager that we should be looking for, it's going to be impossible outside of a summer break. Um, And so the big gamble here is can we just keep on going with Scabala, do enough to stay up and and then you have quite a nice transition period. Um, into an, into a new coach, and they'll probably start doing the work for that now, uh, and hope to hope to get it through. Um, I think it's a risk at this point, having failed to get anyone. It it sort of makes a degree of sense because I would rather have a coherent run up to these games than have one broken up by bringing someone in who's going to start changing things up. I have reservations about the approach, as I've already mentioned, insofar as like we know that this approach works fine against big sides, but these two sides that we need to win against now are not big sides, nor will our tactical approach necessarily play into uh, into our hands for, for this game. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's not ideal. Um, the best case scenario here is that we manage to scrape up by the skin of our teeth and then we have a nice run at a coach for, for next season. Um, the worst case scenario is is that we end up going down, and um, yeah, I suppose you then you then have a clean slate to to go with uh, with with a manager who is going to you then think is going to bring you back up into the division. Uh, but I think I echo what Tom's saying. The the problem here has been this mentality that the that the board have had, which is we'll give him a few more games because it might turn out right, and in the event it hasn't turned out right in such a way that it's made it nigh on impossible to make things any better. So now people will be in... I think if we don't win these next two games, people will say, why did we sack Marsh in the first place? Um, which, again, I think misses the point of the fact of what we've been saying, which is his style of football just didn't suit the the sorts of games that we needed to be winning. Um, but here we are. We now are in a situation where we've sort of made our bed and we have to lie in it. And um, yeah, it's it's going to be very much like the end of last season. I think it's going to be miracle moments um, and and things going our way rather than any sort of smart planning. Which let's not pretend that that was the case. I mean, we go back through those results, and it was you know we we nearly lost to to Norwich. We relied on a red card to get anything out of Wolves, where and we relied on Brentford having their Christmas party a couple of days before that final game to get the result there. So uh, there's a lot of uh, weird twists of fate there and I think we're back in that sort of ballpark again it's going to be twists of fate um, and yeah not not for any smart thinking on our part 
Uh, but we do have a lot of elite players in our squad who can produce those moments. So, yeah, inshallah, again, here we are. Just give it to Willie Nonto and hope that he um, pulls off a miracle. So, Tom, do you, how do you feel about Skabala potentially being in charge until the end of the season? Because it feels like that that's the direction of travel to me. Um, I can't say I'm too happy about it, but I'd, ra- I'd rather do that and get who we want in the summer, regardless of a division we're in, rather than like, I, I, like, I saw Gerard's name mentioned a few days ago, and that just that sounded awful. And those those sort of caliber of managers that you know, they just they're, there's not a lot going on tactics, or really is there? What, what about Nuno, Tom? Because because I I have to <sighs> say that if there was one person in world football whose whose football I would enjoy watching less than Jesse Marsh, that would be the that would be the guy. Bring Nuno in. Would you, you all know Dyche or Nuno? Oh, Dyche, hundred percent. You right, you yeah, all cool, you've agree, all seen me talk about you've all seen me talk about how how I. Uh, enjoyed his Wolves team with all their bullshit and nonsense uh, lots of times so I I'm, I'm just hope that we don't go that way I know that Joe Wayneman is very keen on that idea at the moment and he's yeah. distressing me <laughs> so the problem the problem with that kind of approach is is that we then are prioritizing the short term over the long term right yeah 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 so that's that's the gamble that's being played at the moment we're prioritizing the long term over the short term by dint of the fact we don't really have a huge amount of of choice to make but the other option is short-term success to stay up and then you know what what happens there do you give the job to someone who keeps you up which is what we did last time and then end up sacking them six months later and being in the same situation that's the Everton cycle right that's what I call the Everton cycle where you bring a manager in halfway through the season they keep you up just about you hire them for the next season you end up sacking them again halfway through the season and that that's my biggest concern is that we end up in that kind of situation so I I am glad that we but, you know, if we are looking for a longer term approach rather than we just can't get anybody to agree to do it, um, then I'm then I'm then I am glad. Tom, sorry, I cut you off to talk about Nuno. I do apologise. No, I'd, I would echo all that. Like, I'd I'd rather have that someone come in, in the summer and with it's like a clean slate next year, and you actually think we're set up for success rather than someone like. Well, I mean, I think Nuno would 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 keep us up, and we would be a functional team. But I actually would like to enjoy watching Leeds United play at some point in the next two years because I haven't for the last year or 18 months. So, yeah, even regardless of the division, just have a, a better manager in the summer and play, try and play some nice football, please, Leeds. Thank you. The other thing we should probably say is that the Jesse Marsh Red Bull experiment was, was we sort of threw ourselves into it and we've moved him on and immediately are looking at completely different managers as well. Um, and I wonder whether or not this shows that part of the problem that we've had in the last few seasons in particular is that there's just too many factions at play uh, behind the scenes I think we've got we've got on the one hand Victor Orta we've got Andre Radrizzani and then we've got this minority shareholder group of, of 49ers who at some point are we're led to believe are going to become the majority shareholders and I think at the moment the, like, the majority of problems that we've talked about here can be pointed back to the fact that there is no coherent chain of command there and it's just like three different factions all doing different things, right? So you, we ended up getting a number of players in that Jesse Marsh wanted. We got a number of players in that, that Victor Orta liked to bring in, which was this sort of, let's see if we can generate value through bringing in undervalued players in the market and, and make them worth a lot more simply by bringing them in. Um, and then on the other hand, we've got, you know, the the ownership group um, who may be taking over at some point, bringing in players who fits fits their MO. So I think to a degree, a lot of the American players that were brought in as well sort of fitted in with that too. So it, it's just there's just too much going on at the moment. There's too much at play and we've gone from throwing ourselves in wholeheartedly for this Red Bull model and now seemingly admitting that it isn't going to work and there's no clear coherent plan from here on in as to what the, the next few seasons are going to look like in terms of, of philosophy and I think that's that's kind of what's worrying for me I would much rather us go for a, a, a plan of attack um, with with some kind of coherent idea and if it goes wrong sh- sure admit that it went wrong but have something else in place rather than just being like what actually did happen which was stick with the manager longer than you than maybe was functional and then get into a situation because you almost because you want to persuade people that you were right and there's like reasons why they might have done that. And, and, you know, everyone talks about the underlying numbers and we can talk about the underlying numbers. But the fact of the matter is that, that Jesse Marshall is taking us down. And rather than just making a clear 
decision at one point or the other that we were either going to stick with him to the end of the season or we were going to change things up and we were going to be honest about our approach we simply just let it drag on into a position now where everything's a mess so that's what I'm, I'm interested to see like what happens in the summer do we have a coherent plan or is it just let's see who's the best manager we can get and pretend that their philosophy is our philosophy and we'll give them the players they want and again we're like in Everton territory again where you're simply bringing in different coaches every time different philosophies every time changing the squad for a different coaches and then those squads being completely un- unavailable for any other manager coming in after that point yeah, I, I laughed at Everton last week when they or whenever it was that they brought Dyche in because they'd pivoted from Bielsa to Dyche and I was going, ha ha ha, that means that they don't know what their club really is supposed to be, ha 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 ha, and, and now Leeds United are in precisely the same situation. And I suppose the other the other thing for me is that um that when I look at when I look at uh, you know, the the, the hiring of Marsh and then the the the, the subsequent, you know, bits and we were supposed to be building a philosophy on the back of Bielsa being here, it becomes apparent that the club don't really know what the good bits of Bielsa's football were anyway. So maybe it was all just a mess being covered up by one competent person uh, at the club. Anyway, uh, Tom, are we going down? Uh, yeah, I'm going to say. That's that's how I feel at the moment. It's, as I was having a look at the table. I've just, I've just pulled it up now. And it feels, to me, I, I still feel like Bournemouth and Southampton are the bottom two. And I feel like we're in a battle for the third place. It feels a bit, to me, like it's head-to-head with Everton. Because sort of Palace, who were, were very far off anyway, Villa, who have just got Emery and they'll be fine. Leicester, Wolves, they're all pulling away. Forest is somehow good now, despite the fact that they find signed like a small country. And then I think you feel like West Ham have got good players that you think will they will eventually get their act together. So yeah, I think it's just like a head to head with Everton. And if it's I like Dyche is a good manager, and I think he will get enough out of them that they will. Because like they're what they're one point behind us, and I would back them over sixteen games to get one or two more points than us, and that's so I, I I would if I had to pick right now I would say I would say we're going down. Tom Alderson's got his money on us going down. What about you, John McKenzie? It's impossible to say, isn't it? Because like there's so much riding on the next two games. Like if you get two results in those next two games, it carries you up to mid towards the mid table. And I, I do think that it will still be squeaky bomb later on in the season because you know nominally we've just gone through our easy spell. Um, the the Manchester United games notwithstanding. Um, so yeah, I think we are getting to a point where you know the next couple of games define the the season. And I agree with Tom. I think we're in a shootout with Everton. Um, and the big question is going to be which of the two teams is set up better to win the winnable games um, against the teams around them. And we've spent a long time in this podcast talking about how we're set up to uh, to do well in the non-winnable games, and that's not a particularly sustainable approach for, for a football club of our level. So I, I remain quietly hopeful um, because I do think that we have the the um the 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 t- a talent discrepancy against some of the teams around us and that's not to say i think that our squads necessarily better than the teams around us but i think that we have enough players who can actually generate those moments that can turn games around um and i think that yeah whether or not i i have no idea about how the players felt about Jesse Marsh and him moving on um but i do think that bringing in a new manager often breeds with it a, a, a sense of of freedom and being able to do things a little bit more in in a little bit more of a relaxed manner, and if that comes through in the next couple of games and gets us a, a boost up the table, you know, pick up a few points here and there, run up. If if we if we get as you say four or six points out of the next two games, you can comfortably run up a point per game for the rest of the season and 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 stay up. Um, but I think it's I think it's a massive risk that we've we've taken uh, I think the the board have made bad decisions I don't think enough people are talking about this and, and especially because I think a lot of people have decontextualized what's happened I think when you consider the fact that two seasons ago we finished ninth and we could comfortably have made decisions that meant that we were a mid-table side and within that time frame we've made almost awful decisions every single time I think you know the 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 fact that there's people now saying, well, you know, with Marsh we probably would have scraped up, considering that to be some kind of great win. I don't think is is the is 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 the great win that they think it is. So, yeah, it's a mess. And um, I, I, at the moment now, I'm just sort of hoping that we we scab points um, to keep us up, and and then yeah, I think what everyone needs is this takeover to come through, and 
a, a new approach, new people in in every level of the of the club in the staff, uh, and a, a little bit more coherence. It may not come, but um, it's certainly not coming right now with the with the group that we've got. So. No. Tom, what have you made of Rad Razani's uh, behaviour on Twitter over the last week? It's been bizarre, hasn't it? Why are we capping it at the last week? Well, just, yeah, <laughs> that's a fair question. But, but particularly uh, in this in this period of time, I think he's been he's been on one, hasn't he? He's been on something. I just, I'd like to know what. I might, I might need a bit of that. Um, but he's, yeah, he's just a muppet, isn't he? Well, they all are at the board. I, I, don't, I can't stand any of them. I think they're all idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just it's just not how to not run a football club is those three. They still probably, yeah. you know, in Canary, will probably write a book about it as well. They'll make, yeah, make ten yeah. p or something. There's definitely a book coming. There's definitely a book coming. Okay, John, is there anything more you want to tell us about what Sean Dyche is doing at Everton, or is he just doing Sean Dyche things that we would expect? He's been a bit different than what we've expected. He's been playing a, a four-five-one shape. Um, I think the big question is going to be: Can you sort of drag this? block around and cause them problems and I think potentially we could do that um, but equally I do think that it will be a stodgy game either way um, that I thought against Arsenal they were really good Everton but what Arsenal try and do like most positional play teams try and do is they try and bait the press forward generate space in behind it and attack that space and Everton simply were, refused to do that. They they had a really smart way of running their mid block so that Arsenal couldn't get through. They were able to then press into high, higher um, pressing situations, win the ball high up, and cause problems that way. But also they could fall back into the low block and 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 absorb pressure really nicely, stop them generating dangerous chances, and then go long from there. Um, Against Liverpool, they weren't able to do that so well because there's a little bit more chaos there. And it's not about, you know, moving the opposition structure around. It was simply like, we'll go over the top to like players in behind and we don't really care um, about, you know, building through a structure. And that caused them a, a number of problems. Um, and I think that that approach could work for us. Whether or not we'll do it, I don't know. But um, as long as we don't just try and attack directly through the middle, because I think they will have those those middle areas closed down and they know exactly what to do there. But if we can try and drag them apart by going over the top at times, generate space in the middle um, and and then attack that space, then yeah, perhaps perhaps we'll have a better um, uh, uh, sense of being able to do that. But I do think that we have a lot more, we have advantages over Everton. Um, I think that Dominic Calvert-Lewin not being available for the last game, hopefully that will be the case for this game. That makes them much less dangerous. Um, I also think that we have, you know, we have a coherent way of playing that we've played for for a while. Maybe it won't work out, but you know, it will give us that that upside, that momentum. We've got players who've played together in this system for for a while, and that counts for something. Um, but yeah, again, if the game does what the, these sorts of games have done in the rest of the season. could just be a very sloggy game where they just block out the middle, give us the ball, and then try and hit us on the break. And yeah, I, I, yeah, we're then in, as I've said, moments areas where we're, we're going to hope that, that Nonto does something or, um, or or Bamford is able to produce something, etc. So Yeah, yeah, definitely. Tom, any thoughts about the game on Saturday before we uh, close up? Uh, nothing, nothing more that I can add uh, rather than what John said. I think... It's definitely agree that about Calvert Lewin. I think you can say that for the rest of the season as well. That their survival could be very much down to whether he's fit or not. It was like obviously there was a big difference between I can't, I can't remember who their striker was. It was some young eighteen year old, wasn't it? Ellis Sims. Yeah, his name yeah. Is. And then um, more more pay came on, and he just struggled to get going there as well. So if they're playing on Sunday on Saturday, it'll make a difference. And if they're fit, if Calvert Lewin's fit for the rest of the year, will be it might be the thing that keeps us up. You never know. Mm. Excellent, and it might might well be okay. Good stuff. Um, let's close up then. So that brings us to the end of the podcast. And um, I yeah, I just want to say to everybody, say to you, John, thanks for coming back for my final podcast. I really appreciate that. And Taldo, as always, as you've been all right, I guess. <laughs> um, and um, yep, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to do this podcast over the last three years. Thank you, John, for giving me the opportunity to sound off in front of a microphone about Leeds United for, for that period of time. It's mostly been an enjoyable experience. Um, <laughs> um, and Dear listeners, I hope that you've had fun listening to it too. There will be 
the the podcast will continue. It's just um, Martin will be will be um, leading on that from this point forward. But from me and from us today, a very good thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel as though we should say something about you, Darren, because it's ha- it has been a real pleasure having you on. You've been a fantastic host, and I know you're a big part of why people have loved listening to the podcast. You've yeah, you've carried the the episodes through. You've brought us all in and allowed us to say our things in a in a masterful and professional way. Um, it, in many respects, it's almost like you've been podcasting your whole life. So it's been a real pleasure uh, as well getting to getting to know you in that context, but also as a as a pal as well. It's been been great having you on. And um, yeah, fortunately, friendship can run longer than podcasts. So uh, I'm looking it forward to hanging out with you more outside of that context. Yeah, but thanks very much for everything you've done, man. Cheers, John. Toldo, you can say nice things about me if you want. If you haven't got anything oh, to say, to, I'll no. just say goodbye no, to just, men. I'll, 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 you know what I want to say is that I've, we, it always seems, and I've said this many times, it always seemed to be us doing those 6-1 defeats, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, I, God, wasn't it just? And I wouldn't have wanted to do it with anyone else, Darren. Oh, Tom, that's the nicest thing anyone has ever said to me. Uh, and on that note, I shall say goodbye. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 